Welcome to Meet, Act, and Part. A Masonic podcast hosted by Midnight Freemasons Greg Knott, Darren Larners, Todd Creason, and Bill Hosler. The views, opinions and experiences that are expressed by the hosts or guests as individual Freemasons do not reflect the official position of any Grand Lodge, appendant body, or Masonic authority to which the hosts or guests belong. And now on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Meet, Act, and Part. And we are your hosts. I am Greg Knott. And I'm Bill Hostler. And I'm Darren Laners. And with us today is a very good friend of mine, Sotiri Sakalarios. Sotiri lives in Athens, Greece, and we're going to talk all about Freemasonry in Greece today. But so, Terry, why don't you give us a little bit of your Masonic background, if you could? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Terry, and, well, I got initiated in the crafts back in 2005, coming down the line of five generations of Masons in my family. So, I was initiated at Parthenon Lodge 112 under the Grand Lodge of Greece. That's the main English-speaking lodge. There's another one in Corfu, in Athens, Greece. And we work Scottish Standard Ritual. I was passed, raised, and... In 2017, I was installed as Right Worshipful Master, since we were Scottish Standard, uh, up to 2019. We have two-year terms. I'm uh, also uh, an affiliated member of Internet Lodge 9659 under the United Grand Lodge of England. I'm a very active Royal Lodge Mason. We work the York Rite in Greece, so I've uh, gotten all the intermediate, capitular, cryptic, and chivalric degrees. So I've also done Royal Select Masters, Knights of Malta, Knights Templar, and Knight Templar Priest. I'm very passionate about my British Masonic heritage, being uh, initiated, passed, and raised in a British ritual, and uh, actively participating in an English lodge with an English ritual. And, uh, of course, I'm very familiar with the ins and outs of Greek Freemasonry which I've been serving for the past uh, 15 years or so. So, so Terry, why don't you give us maybe as brief as you can a history of Greek Freemasonry? All right. Well, Greeks have been Masons for centuries. I mean, from pretty much the establishment of uh, official Freemasonry, 1717, because, of course, it had been going on long before that. We've had Greeks in uh, England, France, Romania, uh, Moldavia, Hungary, and the Czech, what today is the Czech Republic and Austria, participating in lodges, actively becoming masters, so on and so forth. Some of these Greeks actually formed the Philikieteria, uh, which is the Friendly Society, who were the spark for the Greek Revolution for uh, independence from the Ottoman Empire. In Greece, in, in the Greek vicinity, Freemasonry started operating in the late 1700s, early 1800s uh, in the Ionian Islands, which at the time were under a Venetian uh, regime. Uh, one of the first lodges was Phoenix Lodge Number 1, which was one of the founding lodges of the Grand Orient of Greece in 1811. Uh, that later on developed into the Grand Lodge of Greece, of course. Our first Grand Master was uh, a member of the 
friendly society I mentioned earlier, Dionysius Ramos, uh, followed by Count Rodokanakis, who was uh, an English count, but he was very passionate about French Freemasonry. So he also, he, he was initiated, passed, and raised in England, but then he received all the Scottish Rite degrees in France and the States and brought the Scottish Rite to Greece. So back in the days, Freemasonry and Greece worked from the first degree all the way to the 33rd degree. Eventually, this changed when we became the Grand Lodge of Greece, which uh, worked continental ritual, of course, with some lodges working British rituals such as emulation or Scottish standard, which my mother lodge works today, uh, coming in and out depending on waning or gaining membership. And uh, but but these never stuck until 1952, when my mother lodge was actually founded, uh, with founding members coming from uh, the Grand Lodge of Scotland, Grand Lodge of England, and several American brethren who at the time worked for the American base in Athens. Going all the way up to 1986, the Grand Lodge of Greece was already working three degrees in craft, and the the Supreme Grand. Uh, uh, what's the title for the Scottish Rite um, body? Su Supreme Grand, not the Supreme Grand Commander. Council. Yeah, a uh, thirty-third uh, degree was uh, working the, the the rest of the the remaining thirty-one degrees. Now, some brothers had established Royal Arch chapters and uh, Knight Templar commanderies, working in a clandestine way, uh, separately uh, from the Grand Lodge of Greece and Athens. At the time, the Grand Master. Uh, wasn't too keen on that. So basically, he, he worked out this decree saying that brethren not working the three degrees and the Royal Arch working other degrees and other Masonic orders besides, uh, besides the three degrees and the Royal Arch were to face uh, dire consequences, even expulsion from the craft. This was not taken kindly from uh, several brethren, particularly brethren from, uh, uh, from our lodge, from my mother lodge, and uh, a couple of other lodges who broke away and in 1986 formed the National Grand Lodge of Greece, which was modeled after the United Grand Lodge of England's constitutions. Most of the National Grand Lodge of Greece lodges worked emulation ritual, either in, mainly in Greek and a couple in English. And uh, one of them still works Scottish Standard to the day, but it's in Greek, which is kind of weird. Anyways, uh, during this time, things were kind of shaky in the Grand Lodge of Greece. We didn't know where we stood, right? A lot of brethren either went into an inactive status or uh, were less than happy uh, when participating in, in Lodge because they were, um, they were denied the opportunity to uh, work the Royal Arch and uh, KT, basically, which were the two big things. My dad included, by the way. So eventually, the Grand Lodge of Greece came to uh, take... Uh, dispensation from the Grand Chapter, Grand Commandery, from the York Rite, basically, in the States, and we formed the York Rite and the Grand Lodge of Greece. Meanwhile, the National Grand Lodge of Greece worked its own independent AASR council, uh, Royal Arch Chapter, not York Rite type, but English type York Rite, uh, Royal Arch. Uh, same, same went for... Uh, Royal Select Masters and KT, and they also added. Uh, they worked Mark separately with the appendant uh, Royal Arch Mariners alone. So we had two different lines of masonry 
both 100% regular, don't get me wrong, both the National Grand Lodge and the Grand Lodge of Greece uh, abide 100% by the ancient landmarks. Of course, there's a, a bunch of other Masonic uh, powers, let's say, uh, of co-ed masonry and Grand Orients and irregular uh, Masonic powers uh, that that have been working since then. There, there was even an effort to uh, unite the two Grand Lodges with the United Grand Lodge of Greece, which never really happened. Uh, now, during the 90s, the Grand Lodge of Greece lost regularity, for, uh, lost recognition from, uh, from uh, the United Grand Lodge of England, which was handed to the National Grand Lodge of Greece. Uh, it was at that time when we, um, when we empowered the York Rite, basically, showing uh, a more international face uh, in our uh, Masonic uh, approach. So, in due time, we regained recognition, and the Grand Lodge of uh, the National Grand Lodge lost it. Which is kind of funny because right now the National Grand Lodge has recognition from the Grand Lodges of Ireland and Scotland, but not from the United Grand Lodge of England, which is given to the Grand Lodge of Greece. Generally, this is something that very much displeases all regular Greek Masons. We all want to be part of the same thing. We're brothers. We're regular, and you know. Had some really good friends in National Grand Lodge, and even this week I'm going to be going out with. Them. So it's 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 kind of funny and sad at the same time that we have to go undercover to to visit each other's lodges. Anyway, so that is pretty much the story of the the, the main story of uh, the Grand Lodge of Greece and the National Grand Lodge of Greece. Now, as I mentioned before, there's other Masonic orders and bodies such as the Le Droit uh, There's an other co-ed Masonic body called uh, Delphi, which I think is about to be absorbed into the Le Droit We do have women's Freemasonry, but they're not affiliated to the OWF or the HFAF, which is kind of funny because even though they're uh, they're not as the United Grand Lodge of England says, regular in every, they are regular in every sense, but they're not affiliated to these or these bodies which are in, am, uh, in amity with the United Grand Lodge of England. We do use their buildings for uh, for our meetings. Some lodges do meet in their premises because they have you know really nice temples and stuff. <laughs> so, uh, for example, our, our Night Temple priests, uh, one of our tabernacles, two of our tabernacles, works in one of those. Uh, buildings and uh so there's women freemasons there's co-ed freemasons there's us and then there's the grand orient which goes all the way from 1 to 33 and uh they're modeled after the grand orient of france they also accept atheists belief in a supreme being is not a prerequisite sadly in my humble opinion uh and uh that pretty much sums up the um there, there's some other independent Masonic bodies as well, but uh, there's quite a few of those, and I, I really couldn't name most of those. There's a couple of research lodges that accept both men and women, but they don't belong in, a, in an actual Masonic order or body. So things are, things are really interesting in Greece. Uh, let me just put it that way. We have the two main branches working the, the, the core uh craft degrees and masonic orders uh a lot of brethren also belong in in the english lodges as well in either cyprus or the uk and uh this helps them complete their masonic experience and it also has helped both 
the National Grand Lodge and uh, the Grand Lodge of Greece expand into other side orders. For example, now we uh, we officially work Knight Templar priests and Allied Masonic degrees, Pilgrim Preceptors, and uh, the Masonic Order of Athelstan, while uh, the National Grand Lodge also works Knight Masons, well, um, sorry, uh, Red Cross of Constantine, and uh, the Secret Monitor in Scarlet Port. So um, that's that's pretty much the uh, the setting of Freemasonry in Greece. It's pretty uh, pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I try to keep it as simple as possible, but it's it's not that easy. So Terry, why don't you tell us about your mother lodge? Because it is, as you told us, uh, I think pre-program, one of two English-speaking lodges underneath the Grand Lodge of Greece. Is that correct? Yeah, it's us and Lord Byron Lodge in Corfu, but they're they're in Corfu. They're not metropolitan. We're the only one in Athens, and then there's a couple of other ones under the National Grand Lodge. There's a Parthenon Lodge, which is an offshoot of our Parthenon Lodge. We're 112, they're Parthenon number three, which is basically the guys that broke off and started the National Grand Lodge. And uh, then there's another couple of lodges, Empedocles Lodge, they work Scottish Standard, but they do it in, in Greek, I think, and there's another one in English, but I, I couldn't tell you much about that. I need to ask more about that and get back to you. For our listeners, what are the main differences between, let's say, the Scottish ritual and the emulation ritual that the lodges under UGLE usually work? Okay, um, that's, of course, always keeping away from uh, from the actual secrets. I'll, uh, I'll try to give you some pointers and then I'll, I'll give you some on the continental Scottish ritual, which is where things are totally different. So Scottish standard ritual, which is basically the best practices of Scottish rituals, because in Scotland, no two lodges work exactly the same way. Uh, but Scottish standard ritual is um, best practices ritual, ba- mainly design, designed for overseas lodges under the Grand Lodge of Scotland. We're very similar to, uh, mainstream English rituals. Normally, the temple layout is slightly different, which means that we have the altar in the middle of the temple and uh, the tracing boards in front of the master. The main officers are more or less in the same position, except in some lodges where they have them. uh, For example, there's this one lodge working in in Edinburgh and actually in the same building as Edinburgh, Mary's Chapel Number 1. They they have the junior and senior warden on each side of the entrance, right across in the west, right across from the worshipful master, the right worshipful master, which is kind of you know weird because that's how the Asian the ancients used to do it in uh, in the uh, ancients Grand Lodge, the Athol Grand Lodge of the United Grand Lodge of the now United Grand Lodge of England. Now Scottish standard is I'd say the main parts of the ritual are. You know, about 95% identical word-wise. There are some differences, but I'd say the most, the most, well, the biggest difference is comes in, the biggest difference comes in third degree. During the raising, we actually have, you have the master in the middle, you have the, the wardens on each side of the master, uh, the candidate laid in front of him, of course, and the deacons forming an equilateral triangle, right? And then we also have 10 brothers standing around in a circle. 
Now, each time the master attempts to raise the candidate, they preambulate around the triangle in a circle around the triangle, which is very interesting. And uh, under the uh, sign of a mentored apprentice, a fellow craft, and then the, the sign of sorrow and distress. Now, this is very interesting in my humble opinion, because this ties in very nicely with the Royal Arch, because you have a circle around the triangle, which cannot be completed, of course. This, this triangle and the second triangle cannot come about because Hiram Biff is gone. But it's very interesting because it's, it also means that you're halfway there. You haven't learned the secret of the Royal Arch because you can because of uh, the loss of our master on one hand. On the other hand, though, you can see that that's where you're headed. I mean, after all, the, the two tri interwining triangles of, uh, of the Royal Arch, the Star of David, basically, is as above, so below. What, what happens in, in the physical realm happens in the spiritual realm and so on and so forth. So when the representative of our, of our master, of our slain master is laid in front of us, basically that's his terrestrial form. And, you know, after his death, the only place he can go to learn the, the secrets, the true secrets of Master Mason is the Royal Arch. So that, that was my, some thoughts I've been having about this whole thing and about connections between the craft and Royal Arch. But yeah, that's the main thing. And also an installation in the States, uh, you have the virtual past master, but in the British Isles, there's a very specific uh, installation ceremony for uh, the right worshipful master and for the worshipful master in English lodges. And this, this uh, includes, of course, signs, words, and tokens. And, uh, and without going into detail, because I can't really go into detail, Anyways, the thing is that the, the Scots have a longer version than the English, which is interesting. It's a longer story. Uh, afterwards, when we go off the record, I can, uh, I can share more about that. I was going to ask Sotiri, how is education treated in, in Greece? Because uh, I know that you personally have a lot of educational presentations that you give to various lodges under the UGLE and elsewhere. But is that, I mean, are you kind of a rare breed over there or is education embraced by every lodge? Oh, no, we're, uh, it's, it's. Well, it's very different from England because we don't really get lodges of instruction that, that, that you know, set lodges of instruction in, in a very uniform way. But all Masons are expected, well, not all, but, you know, anyone that's actually interested definitely comes up with, with a paper to hand in. Some, some, you know, they do their research, write down their talks, their, their lectures. Sadly, most of those I, I probably wouldn't even call Masonic, but, you know, whatever rocks someone's boat. If, if they want to uh, combine ancient Greece to Freemasonry or whatever, you know, that's their cup of tea, not mine. But, you know, anyways, the thing is, it happens a lot. A lot of Greek Masons uh, research a lot, try to find connections, sadly, between ancient Greece and Freemasonry, besides the, uh, the basic stuff that we all were all familiar with, such as the uh, orders of architecture and, and, you know, the Pythagorean theorem and Euclidus. But, you know, they, they go all out, even stating, making outrageous claims such as the uh, fact that Freemasonry originates from the Eleusinian mysteries and so on and so forth. So my answer would have to be yes, it is embraced and it is practiced a lot. A lot of brothers, you know, spend a lot of time and a lot of research in their Freemasonry. Uh, if you ask my humble opinion on it, not always in the right direction because, you know, 
when you throw in quantum physics and ancient Greece and whatever, it kind of, it kind of, you know, <laughs> it's kind of outrageous, basically. But that's just me. You know, I'm, I'm a very peculiar system of morality veiled in allegory and illustrated by symbols kind of guy. I had the opportunity to visit Greece maybe a decade ago. So I was, I pulled up my pictures just to refresh my memory. It's been a while. But I guess, you know, when you were talking about so many people or a few people are trying to connect ancient Greece and maybe that mythology to the evolution of modern Freemasonry, it just, it struck me though that you, you know, every day, that it's those old sites are staring you right in the face. And I guess what struck me, the difference between Greece and the United States was just, you're so much older than us in terms of a country. And so you've got all that history and so much of it's been preserved. And we went to Dallas and Santorini and, and so, you know, some of the tourist spots, but I guess, you know, and again, I was looking at those ruins, the pictures I had and there was archways in there. And, and so I, I guess I could see where they're trying to make that connection but like you say, it's probably more from the architectural standpoint than maybe the mythology standpoint. But I guess, how do you, I mean, are you, uh, do you embrace that old history or, or is that just too much looking backwards and um, you're looking forward? You, there's just so much beauty over there. And it, it just, I, I don't know if you, if, if you know it when you're living there every day kind of thing. You don't, I know here, you don't sometimes see what's in your own backyard when it's right there with you. But do you have a sense of that history or, or how, how's it go? Yeah, definitely. Well, you do take it for granted from time to time. I mean, I've only been at the Acropolis like a, a handful of times and I've lived here like pretty much all my life besides a couple of years in England, but it's there. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not one of those, I'm, I'm not crazy uh, nationalistic or whatever. I, I appreciate what I've been handed down culturally and uh, don't get me wrong here. It's just that I, I, I separate it from Freemason. As I said, I'm, I'm a very, I, I treat Freemasonry and particularly craft Freemasonry as a peculiar system of morality. And that's it. When you go into the side orders, yeah, I mean, you can get a lot more philosophical. I was uh, a very good friend and brother of mine uh, was over from England last October and we, we went to the Cave of Pan in Delphi and that was a mind blowing experience. And uh, I'd love to take you guys when you're over. Because that's stuff tourists don't normally see. And that's where you get some really good glimpses into the arcane and more esoteric uh, ancient Greek uh, heritage. But on the other hand, you know, like I'm, I, I like and respect and enjoy that. But I, I keep it separate from Freemasonry. To me, Freemasonry is very, it's something that was given to us by the Scots, basically in the Middle Ages. Builders of, of churches, Christians that were open-minded enough in a very narrow-minded time to uh, accept all creeds, all nationalities as their equal. So, and I think that's the magic of Freemasonry, being on the level, accepting everyone as your brother, regardless of what they believe, what they wear, what they do, what color their skin is, what whatever. So that's why I stick to the more uh, moral aspect of Freemasonry. On the other hand, I, I also love the esoteric part, but that's a different thing. That's the, the side orders. Uh, now, now I heard this uh, this funny story that one of our, um, I'm not going to go into any detail, a grand officer of the Grand Lodge of Greece was thinking of uh, finding a Greek myth for the Royal Arch myth uh, and, and to make a, a, a drama out of that and a, and a Royal Arch exaltation out of that. Now, I think that's ridiculous. I mean, I understand the symbolism and it's it's really nice to be able to explain it, but to, to actually go into make ritual, that's that's just plain out 
blasphemy in my humble opinion. Anyways, but yeah, going back to uh, what Greg was saying, it's here. A lot of us appreciate it. And I'm, I'm always big on preserving culture. And I think that's what, that's a, a very important thing that religion did for Greece during the, the, the Ottoman occupation. I'm, I'm very open-minded about religion, but, but, but I have to uh, give the Greek Orthodox religion that thing, that it preserved the Greek culture and things that were handed down from the Byzantine times and from the Hellenistic times before that. It's here. It's all around us. And uh, there's stuff that everybody knows and everybody has seen. And there's stuff that I'd love to take you and, and show you. Especially with the Greek Lodge. The average Greek, the man who works in a store or something, if he wants to become a Freemason, what is the process he goes through and how does he become one? And what would be the average dues? In the- sure. Okay. So a gentleman is uh, is knocking on the door of the lodge, right? How do we treat him? Well, if he knows a brother, then no problem. We'll, uh, we'll screen him, of course. See if he's actually morally up to it. And if he is, he'll go through a, you know, the normal balloting process, interviewing and everything. And then when the time comes, he, um, around a month or two after balloting, we can, we can initiate him. Uh, actually, the whole process could take, uh, from anywhere from, from two months to six months. Well, now with COVID, it's, it's a lot worse, of course, but anyways, we, we, we're not even sure when we're going to open again. But uh, it's it's a three to six month um, time frame. The costs, oh, not not. I'm. It's costly. I mean, to uh, initiate someone, the annual fees are around uh, 200, uh, 230, 240 euros per lodge per per year. So they need to pay that plus initiation fees, which are around seven eight hundred euros. So it's around a grand to get initiated. Then another six hundred to get passed. And another six hundred get raised, six or seven hundred get raised. So to be affiliated with a Greek lodge, you need two hundred euros uh, for the affiliation, and to be reinstated, another two hundred. That's more or less what it costs. The Grand lodge fees are one hundred and eighty euros per year, but in order for the lodge to to financially make it, we push it up to uh, depends from two hundred and ten to to two hundred and fifty euros per lodge. So I'm curious, how many members are in your lodge, as an example? Yeah. Well, okay. Overall in Greece, there's around 4,000 active Freemasons in the Grand Lodge of Greece. Our lodge, which is a medium-sized lodge, is uh, we have 50, 49 active members, of which 25 are very frequent and active. So, Terry, you'll kind of find this, I guess, a little humorous. We have arguments at our Grand Lodge here often regarding raising per capita, which is what we pay to the Grand Lodge. Each lodge pays a certain amount per member to the Grand Lodge. And we just had a increase of uh, $10. So I think it's now a total of $35 per, per Mason per lodge here. So the sticker shock for a lot of the American Masons, when you say, say that, I think would be pretty, pretty huge. But at the same time, a lot of us, I think, feel that the brand of masonry that you guys practice is one that we, some of us aspire to do. So I think I would gladly pay much more if we could have festive boards. And if we did masonry, more, more of the, I guess, Scottish or, or English way. 
Okay. Yeah, that was that was kind of what my thought process was asking the question is, is I'm thinking that one would pay that kind of money to just become a Mason. You're going to be a lot more serious about it, and you're going to want to be a Mason, and you're going to be more active. But I was also wondering about how much time do you have to put in between degrees before you're passed and raised, and are there any other requirements during that time that you have to do before you're ready to level up? So to speak. Yeah, that's a real good question. First of all, on your first point, yeah, that was exactly what uh, Grand Lodge was going for because they increased the the fees. They're like, okay, we have we have a lot of people interested. Let's make sure it's people that are actually worth it and really into it and really want to, you know, give in the elbow grease. So that that was exactly what Grand Lodge was going for. So there was there was an actual rationale to that. Now, on the other hand. I paid like 80 pounds for my English lodge every year. So it's a fraction of the price. Anyways, going back to what you were saying, uh, first degree to second degree, you have to have at least one year apart plus uh, a total of uh, 50% plus one meetings. Now that may not sound a lot, but in Greece we have two meetings, two to three. Well, our lodge has two meetings a month. Most Greek lodges have three to four. So it's quite quite a lot of time you need to dedicate. Now, from the second to the third degree, you need approximately six months of Masonic activity, which means if you get passed in May and then we close down in June, you have to you have to start counting from September again. So you could do it in a total of a year and a half. That's how long it took me, by the way, which was kind of cool back then. You know, everything in the States, we have to do it fast. We have to do it in volume. So what you've described between the monetary contribution and cheap. And so it's just a 180. I think what Darren was saying, so many of us would probably try to strive for what you're doing there. And I like the fact that there's a deliberate amount of time in between your degrees so that the candidate can learn and participate and do their work and whatnot. I mean, I've seen here, we try to rush you through as soon as possible in some circumstances. And uh, I don't think that helps our retention because so many will come, join, come to their first meeting or two, and we don't see them again. What's your retention like uh, with new members? Oh, I'd say it's anywhere from like 30 to 50% tops because you have a lot of people, you know, coming in. <laughs> we have one brother in our lodge, and you know, I'm not very keen on calling him a brother, but he is. so. Who, who actually said that he was expecting to see something like something out of a movie with people driving Lamborghinis and having extravagant parties. Like, dude, nobody told you there's stuff like that, you know, like settle down, you know. But sadly, there's a lot of people that are expecting that or they're expecting something like they're going to become super rich and powerful and all that crap you see in all those bogus Illuminati uh, advertising on the Internet. And they just flake out because they're not finding what they're looking for, which makes sense. There's a lot of brethren here in, in the U.S. that really think that the way that they do it in Europe is the proper way that um, to have the them higher dues and to have a waiting period between degrees and more education is a better way to retain brothers and to make a quality of experience and make happier masons. And 
We're all curious about festive boards. We don't have them over here in America. Maybe once a year if you're lucky. The, qu the question I'm going to ask is, do the Greeks have taverns and bars attached to their buildings like they do in, in Great Britain? And do they have festive boards? Yeah, well, uh, most, if not all, but most of our Masonic halls have uh, an appendant tavern or, or restaurant. So that's, that's really convenient because, you know, all lodges can go there. The food's usually crap, though. But, but, you know, it's very convenient because you can actually go straight from the meeting. You don't have to leave the building. You just go downstairs and you dine. And uh, what's really cool is that in one of the buildings here in northern Athens and one of the northern suburbs here in Kephisia, after the festive board, uh, sorry, after the meeting, their festive board is actually done. You know, everybody gets served, of course. But then the master asks each and every brother to comment on the workings on the labors of the evening, whether it be a ritual or a talk, which is really cool because, of course, you get to listen to a lot of bull, but there's some really interesting points and, and you can learn a lot of interesting th things, even from, from mentored apprentices that just joined. So it's, uh, that, that's really exciting. And that's actually one of my favorite things I, I love. And that, that can drag on up to down to like one or 2 AM. So it's, it's fun. You know, you get your beers, whiskey and drag on. Yeah. What do you, I mean, if, so if I'm, if I'm a prospective member, what is it? You personally tell me, why would I want to be a part of Freemasonry in Greece? It's kind of the what we call the elevator speech, you know, that, that short explanation. What is it you tell somebody why they're not looking for the Lamborghinis and all that kind of nonsense? What is it you're telling them? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let you down here because with all this uh, fee increase and everything, I, I've been personally like kind of bummed about Freemasonry in Greece. So I've, I basically... <laughs> Tell people to go do it in England. It'll be cheaper for them, much cheaper, or in Cyprus in an English lodge. But yeah, okay. Obviously, my closest friends that have joined the crafts, they know I'm a Mason. They've known I'm a Mason. They know it's out there for them. And when the time comes, you know, I, I always throw, <laughs> I always throw Freemasonry into the mix. You know, with a like a Trojan horse, throwing some esotericism, and then bam, Freemasonry. So basically, what I, I just give them the the, the real story about it that I've gained some really, really good friends over time and all over the world, that this thing works like it's, it's something that unless you're in, you don't really get it. I mean, there's people that I've known for six months that are some of my closest friends. And there's people that I've known for 15 years that are also some of my close friends, and they're all Masons. And that's it works like a catalyst for, for bonding among people. So that's something unique. I have not encountered that anywhere else. Of course, the pursuit of truth, that's up to each and every individual. And if somebody somebody's more esoterically inclined or more metaphysically inclined, they can always do that. And then there's relief. And relief to me is the most magical thing about Freemasonry. It's not charity. Charity you can find anywhere. Relief is different. So back during the last months of my mastership, there was this girl we heard about who was... She had a terminal disease. I, I can't remember what exactly it was. She's probably not with us anymore. And one of our past masters proposed we make a donation of 300 euros. He's like, and you know what? It's not going to do anything for her health. We just want her to feel better. Relief. That's the essence of relief. She, we want her to go out and have a nice meal or shop something nice so she can feel good. 
And that's a that's a pretty good sales pitch for for prospective brethren. I mean, anyone that that has a moral bone in their body will will get you know their eyes wet from that story, and it's uh, it always gets me. So that pretty much sums up what what I what I give somebody that's interested or that has a perspective in becoming interested, without pushing, of course. We never push. It's always voluntarily of their own free will in court. Would you want to tell you some things about Greek ritual, by the way? It's a, it's very continental, right? So it's basically French-born. But particularly in second degree, they've thrown in some Greek elements. So when they're um, – are you familiar with uh, continental ritual? I'm not at all. Okay. Well, let's take it from the top. First degree. It's a lot fancier than what, what I'm what I was used to. When I when I got initiated, then I started visiting Greek lodges and I freaked out. There, I was like, "What the hell is going on here?" They have like swords with flaming swords and stuff. Uh, they don't get to see the light in the in the light. They get to see it in the darkness, and they have these swords pointing at. So it's really fancy. They have like stuff that's. Uh, I've heard you can see it in, in other side orders, more esoteric side orders, more Rosicrucian ones. They have these trials based on the elements in the first degree. So they have fire, they have water, and they have air. And they have the earth, of course. No talk of the void. <laughs> but they do that using cups with water, this altar with uh, burning sulfur. So it's, it's really fancy. It's out there. Nothing like what I was used to. But that, too, in my humble opinion, is very... Uh, sways sways away from what I personally perceive as Freemasonry. Then in the second degree, that's where they get all their working tools. And there's just five of those, no three, uh, three sets of three. So um, they get five working tools and they get told about the five philosophers of Greece, which is something that was actually, from what I've heard, it, it, they started it here and some lodges abroad have been adopting it. Continental logic. The second degree is tedious as hell in in uh, continental masonry. It's my favorite degree in in, uh, in British ritual, but it's it's oh god, I can't stand the Greek version. Anyways, and then you have the third degree. Now the third degree. How do I understand? How do I perceive what the French did to British ritual? Was they took the third degree and they lopped a part of it into their second degree. No, sorry, they lopped a part of the second degree into their third degree because a, a mason in, in Greek ritual only gets to hear about King Solomon's temple and about the middle chamber in the third degree. That's where they hear about Hiram of Biff, Hiram of Tyre, and, and King Solomon for the first time in the third. And then they even call the third degree the middle chamber. Then uh, after the entire ceremony is done, uh, they just stop there. They don't explain that the secrets are, are substitutes. They don't do anything. They, they do just part of the traditional history. They explain how uh, Hiram Abiff was interred under a, a bush, not a sprig of acacia. So they changed that too. And then the Frenchies stretched the third degree into the fourth, seventh, and ninth of, the Sc of, of what today is a Scottish rite, where you learn that uh, the secret is lost, that they went after Hiram and Biff's, the culprits anyways, and what the, what happened to them after that. So that is the three degrees in a nutshell. 
there's a lot of differences in the grip signs and tokens uh, and continental masonry and Greek masonry. Funny enough, there was this uh, Lewis Masonic documentary on the Illuminati, which had several similarities to what I've experienced in Greek Freemasonry craft ritual. So that's pretty much my experience. I'm not a huge fan of it. I have to say that. I'm glad I know it because it gives me more well-rounded understanding of uh, what's happening in my native land. But uh, it's, it's, I personally think it's kind of sketchy. What do you see as the future of Freemasonry in Greece? Oh, good question. The future. Well, if people don't make it interesting, and if the and if the fees keep skyrocketing, it's gonna die out. Well, it's not. It's never gonna die out entirely, but it's it's gonna wane like it does in other places in the world. Now, right now, it hasn't really received a, a significant blow in, in Greece. The numbers are pretty pretty steady, and they have been for the past two decades or so, which which is pretty good, you know, taking into account the uh, the global picture. On the other hand. Standards have dropped considerably. You have under or uneducated people joining. We even had like hardcore nationalists joining, uh, a couple of whom were eventually struck off the role of the Grand Lodge of Greece. They just weren't screened properly beforehand. So uh, I, I know that I've personally, I've personally seen it that that non-suitable candidates don't join. Because I think that it's not a matter of volume and quantity. It's a matter of quality. If you get better people in the craft and you make it more interesting, it's going to eventually draw the right kind of people. So is it a bad thing that membership membership is waning globally? Or is it just an indication that that there's more of a turn to quality? I don't know. That's That's a question I've been asking myself lately. But that's pretty much how I see it in Greece as well. No, I just... Uh... I think I agree with you on the the quality over the quantity. I mean, you certainly need a nucleus of numbers to have a lodge, but and and Darren, yeah, I mean, and we we've seen it here. Darren and I've talked about it at length about how much do you guard the West Gate and and not let some of those people in. But we all seem to be desperate for numbers, and and in the end, they don't stay anyway. So we didn't really gain anything, and so. Um, I think there's just this, I think we're in this transition phase. More people will seek us out if they find what they're looking for. And we have to give them what they're looking for, not the Lamborghinis and all that, but the philosophical, the the brotherhood piece that we tell people this is what we do, but we don't live up to our own billing. And and I think until we get to that stage, you know, we're going to have a revolving door or revolving gate in some cases because people are going to be disappointed. At the other hand, what I also see, though, is a lot of people, they'll come in and to learn the philosophy and all that, you're not always going to find it in a lodge meeting, as we all know. So you have to go out and do your own work. And I'm not sure a lot of people will go out and do the work, when, but yet there's more educational platforms now than any point in time in Masonic history. And so, uh, so it's there. But so I, I, I agree with you on the quality piece because that's, that's the better experience than the quantity, in my opinion. Yeah, totally. And, uh, I know, as you said, Freemasonry isn't something you do in lodge. It's something you are. And the more of us realize that, the better off we're all going to be. And, um, and that's something that, that, you know, be the example you want people to, to, of what you want people to, to, to see in Freemasonry and what you want people to be inspired 
from Anthony Mason. That's that's very key. You see, I mean, right now I'm sitting here in a room in Athens, Greece, and I'm chatting away with three of my brothers in the States, and this is just amazing. I'm I'm so happy I'm doing this right now. And more people can can get to, to to experience this. I mean, you guys are my brothers, and I take brotherly love very seriously. Believe you me. The more people that, that realize that that we're we're part of something much bigger than ourselves, an international institution, basically, <laughs> not in the wrong sense of the word institution, but well, it could be in my case. But uh, it's 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 magical. It's beautiful. And that's what we need to uh, carry on as a torch of Freemason. Here in America, Masons, we tend to put our square compasses on everything. Hats, t-shirts, on our cars. Some even put them on their houses. And We're very outward with our membership. We put our logo on everything. And I know in other places, like say in the UK, they're a little more restrained, mostly because of the media and what they've portrayed the Masons to be like over the years. They tend to be a little more subdued and they keep their membership a little more quiet. In Greece, are the membership pretty outward about their Masonic membership? Or are they, do they tend to be like the European brethren in England and that and keep their membership a little quiet and just keep it to themselves? Okay, that's um, okay. Most of uh, well, there's Freemasonry is massively taboo in Greece because of the the predominance of the Greek Orthodox Church. However, it's coming out of the closet slowly and steadily, speaking of pride. I'm I'm all out as a Mason. I mean, all of my friends know I'm a Mason. People at work know I'm a Mason. Uh, but when I'm in a suit at a business meeting, I'll wear my my forget me not. I won't wear squares and compasses. I won't I won't stuff it in someone's face. But I'll wear forget me not or uh, or the wear large towel or uh, or the sprig of acacia. You know, so I, I'll be subtle and I'll do that. And a lot of brothers do that. Now, not many people in Greece go all out. Meaning wearing baseball caps, T-shirts, and uh, jackets, and everything. And I, I do sometimes. I don't. I don't really care. But most people in Greece don't, and that's because they don't know how to back it up. Basically, they don't know, and that's because of the continental ritual, in my humble opinion. Because in in uh, in English-speaking ritual, we know ourselves to be Freemasons. In continental ritual. When uh, the senior warden asks the worshipful master, uh, no, the worshipful master asks the senior warden, um, are you Freemason, brother so-and-so? He's like, my brethren uh, know me to be one. So even from the very foundation of the ritual, ritual uh, during opening, they're taught to be extra cautious, <laughs> not in the sense that we do. Uh, so they don't. It's not part of the Masonic culture to openly declare it in continental Europe. In England, I'd say it's a lot more relaxed than it was 10 years ago. Because you have the widow's sons wearing their squares and compasses on their biker jackets. And now you have the ambulances and you have the Enough is Enough movement, which the Grand Lodge of England started a while back. And uh, so, so the English brothers are more relaxed with their Masonic identity from, uh, from what they were a while ago. Now, in Greece, not so much. Not so much. 
Bill, Greg, any other questions for Sotiri? No, I've I've learned a lot. It's it's so interesting to hear a different perspective than just what we have locally or even just our normal internet stuff that you hear. But yet it's still the same. And and I think Sotiri, that's what you've emphasized is the brotherhood, regardless of, you know, how many oceans or continents we are apart, in the end, that's what it's all about. The ritual and all that are just means to translate a message, but uh in the end, it is, it's about the brotherhood. And for me, that's always been the biggest part of Freemasonry is enjoying that. So really have enjoyed uh, meeting you and learning about the, uh, the Greek Freemasonry system. It's been a great pleasure. And um, I'd love to meet you guys in prison as soon as this COVID crab is over. I mean, it's, it's been great. And, you know, I just met Bill and Greg and, you know, they're my brothers. I'm really happy for that. And I'm pretty sure we'll going to keep in touch and at some point in the future we're going to be we're going to happily meet and, and uh, go to a lodge oh, I'd love to take you guys to a Greek lodge meeting and show you those uh, <laughs> those initiations and everything and uh, I'd love to take you to all the, the sites and the the better sites the non-touristy ones as well but yeah as you said we're all brothers the core is the same and the differences are what makes what, what, what makes that what makes everything worth it and interesting pretty much would love to come back. Greece is a beautiful country. You know, even just the tourist things I saw and uh, the, the Greek people were very friendly and it was it was an amazing uh, trip when I was there. So I, I hope we do get to make that trip at some point. Awesome. I just want to thank you, brother, for being on the show, especially since it's so late there in Greece. And I just find this fascinating. Not not long ago, we were able to speak with a brother from England, and I'll, and he discussed and explained to us how they practice Freemasonry in the UGLE. And now we've got to learn how Freemasonry is practiced in Greece. And I really hope the listeners get as much from this as we do, because this is it's just so interesting as we get to see the differences, how things are done across the globe compared to the way we do things here in the United States and. I really hope we can do this again and we can further explore this. And I hope you come on our show again and we can talk more about this because I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. It's all right. It's 10 o'clock. It's not that late. By the way, I could, I could uh, my, my English lodge has a huge membership from overseas uh, brothers. And I could, I'd love to bring you guys in touch with other countries as well. We'll uh, definitely talk about that, so Terry. And I just wanted to thank, thank you again for coming on, uh, agreeing to come on. I know we haven't known each other that long, but to me, you're already a good friend and brother. So thank you again for coming on. And for our listeners, uh, thank you for listening to another episode of Meet, Act, and Part. Have a good evening. Thank you for listening to Meet, Act, and Part. For more information about our show, visit our website at www.meetactandpark.com While there please consider supporting the show by sponsoring us on Patreon. Until we meet again, may we meet Act and Park.